Welcome to Behind the Music, the Houston Chamber Choir's weekly podcast. I'm Sinjin Flynn. Well, this time, Behind the Music is pleased to be able to talk to Matthew Dietrich, who is the artistic director and the founder of the Apollo Chamber Players. Welcome, Matt. Where are you? Great to see you, Sinjin. I am in my home here in Houston in the Med Center area, and uh, it's a beautiful but hot day. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. And you and your, your wife and your son, everybody is safe and sound and well. We're making do and trying to stay as busy as we, po as we possibly can with uh, the Zoom and uh, just you know having some nice family time. Uh, so uh, it's, it's interesting with a two and a half year old being quarantined for a while, but uh, it's been great spending a lot of time with him. Tell us about the, the times that Apollo has collaborated with the Houston Chamber Choir. Well, one of our most recent collaborations was in 2018 as part of their Via de Mattel Christmas concert that they do annually. And Bob reached out to me, I think, uh, earlier that year and asked us to be a part of this program. Uh, we were very yes, enthusiastic. Bob Simpson, Bob Simpson the director yeah. of uh, Houston Chamber Choir. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really wonderful. We'd, we performed in the Via, Via de Mattel uh, venue once before for an AIDS charity concert um, a couple of years before that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a beautiful space. The acoustics are, are superb and there's no better choir than the Houston Chamber Choir. So working with them, collaborating with them was, was, uh, was really a delight. And I guess, you know, not everybody would know that the Apollo Chamber Players is a string quartet. Our core is a string quartet, yes. Yes. Uh, however, we do a lot of collaborations with uh, other instrumentalists and singers and um, Chitravina players uh, uh, and any, any a multitude of traditional instruments from around the world. Um, uh, we try to to really connect our communities and, and cultures through our programming in that fashion. And I, actually, a number of times in the past. Five, six, seven years, we've um, collaborated with uh, usually a single member of the Houston Chamber Choir for one of our programs, um, either at Match or uh, Zilka Hall or uh, other venues. So um, it's just been really, it's been a delight to to, to collaborate with um, this wonderful organization. And as you said, the uh, the Villa de Mattel, the, the chapel there is just a spectacular venue, isn't it? Acoustically, it's one of the best venues in Houston, especially for strings and for uh, for for the voice. Um, I think I think it, it's really hard to beat in that respect. And so the combination of the two uh, is is just a wonderful a wonderful aesthetic and 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 very. I think everyone enjoys also. I mean the uh, the architecture of the of the building too um, adds a lot to uh, the performance as well. It was Christmas two thousand eighteen that you performed at the Villa with uh, the Houston Chamber Choir. Do you remember what you, what you played? We played Corelli's Christmas Concerto, a chamber version. And uh, actually we also performed a work with uh, one of the singers. It was a something we commissioned by a Houston composer named Mark Buller. And mm -hmm. uh, this is something that we included on one of our first uh, holiday concerts that, that we featured a number of commissions inspired by Christmas and holiday traditions. And uh, then we did a couple of other uh, shorter works with with the choir, and uh, yeah, it was um, it was it was a really fun collaboration. We were out front in front of the choir, and uh, just the, the kind of the sound that 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 
that you're in in that situation with this, you know, these wonderful singers behind you. Um, again, it's just really, it's it's almost unbeatable. <laughs> yeah, it really is something very special. Um, one of the things I think that distinguishes the Apollo chamber players from many other string quartets is that you are tied very closely into not just classical music, but also folk traditions as well. Yes, that's correct. And a lot of this comes from, you know, my upbringing. Uh, I grew up in York, Pennsylvania. My father was a minister. He also played the guitar and banjo and harmonica and uh, mountain dulcimer and lots of uh, folk instruments. Uh, my mom was a classical musician and she taught my, my two younger brothers and I violin. Uh, we started when we were three years old. Um, so we grew up and my family did programs. We did programs of, of hymn tunes and fiddle, folk and fiddle tunes. And uh, we combined them with works by Bach and Mozart. Um, so this kind of mixing of genres uh, that now we do with Apollo has been a part of my DNA for quite a, well, my entire life, really. And in fact, your commitment to uh, the folk traditions is borne out in, uh, Apollo has a, 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 what you call the 20 by 2020 commissioning project, where the ensemble has commissioned 20 different composers from different uh, regions of the world, different uh, uh, musical backgrounds to compose music for you. Can you give us a sense of some of those, some of the regions of the world that have been covered? Well, for sure. I mean, right, right here in our backyard, uh, we began the project with a piece by a really wonderful American composer, Libby Larson, a, part, a piece called Sorrow Song and Jubilee that connected African-American spirituals and sorrow songs with uh, the Czech composer Dvorak. Um, Dvorak was, was, was inspired by spirituals and, you know, when he was in the state, when he lived in the States in the 1890s, uh, a, a grandson um, of a former slave named Henry Thacker Brule taught him these spirituals and he was very inspired to use those in his, uh, in his music. So, and then we've, we, uh, most, most recently, well, recently last year, we did a collaboration with a Chickasaw composer named Jared Impichachaha Tate. This is a, a piece called Moonstrike for String Quartet and Narrator. And the narrator happened to be John Harrington, who was the first member of a Native American tribe to fly in space. And he built part of the space station in 2002. Um, so we have you know, some of the Americas. We, we've explored the Andean region uh, in South America. We've explored Eastern music, Japanese, Vietnamese. We have a really wonderful collaboration with a Vietnamese Dan Bao player named Vanessa Vo. Uh, and then an in Indian Chitravina player named Chitravina and Ravikiran. So, uh, you know, it, it's kind of run the gamut and, and, and you know, we were to have premiered the last two commissions of this project this past spring. Obviously, that was, uh, uh, we had to reschedule and postpone these because of the, the pandemic. But, um, right. you know, we're, we're doing this festival right now and we're going to we're going to feature every single commission as well as the composers uh, as part of 20 separate episodes to celebrate the conclusion of this uh, of this bold project. So talking about folk music, was that the first music that you experienced when you were young, when you were growing up through your parents? In way, yeah, in a way, yes. I mean, my, I learned violin using the Suzuki method of violin training. Um, and this was uh, founded by Sunichi Suzuki, who believed that every child could learn music. It's very oriented to listening and, and, and hearing things um, and developing the ear. 
uh, almost before you can read music. Sure so I, um, I, uh, I, you know, I remember being able to, I do remember being able to, to play things on my violin before I could read music. Um, and then, and then, you know, that the reading music comes later. So in terms of a lot of the, 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 the folk and fiddle tunes, I think I remember learning those by ear. And then with mm -hmm. the Suzuki method, you, you go from, you know, book one to 10 and it advances with each volume, with each, with each book, uh, the technique and everything. Um, so, you know, my, my childhood was spent kind of mixing those two things and learning Bach and Vivaldi and then playing Irish fiddle tunes, uh, in conjunction with that, um, but I, I think that, that this Suzuki method really enabled me to well develop my ear. And so fast forward to when uh, to the Apollo years, and I was able I've been able to transcribe some some field recordings that you know there is no music to, but just by listening, being able to then transcribe on finale and create some sheet music and arrange this so you know the four of us can play that. Um, and those are actually for sale uh, on sheetmusicplus.com. I think we have about fifteen arrangements on there right now. Arrangements from uh, what part of the world? Uh, these are uh, folk music arrangements from, uh, from Hungary, from Spain, from the Basque region of France. Um, we have some from Vietnam, uh, actually really all over the world. And in fact, we have the first transcription arrangement of a piece by the vanguard African-American composer Florence Beatrice Price. Um, as well. Uh, and actually, that may be soon bought by a big publishing company because she is in such demand and she's, she, well, actually, she, she's experiencing a well-deserved renaissance of her music in the past, uh, it's in the past five or six years. Um, so we were really kind of happy to be a part of that. But again, I, I think, you know, I, I really, I credit my parents and especially my mom um, for giving you know giving me that opportunity to develop my ear to a point where you know i'm able i was able to do a lot of these arrangements and transcriptions later in my life and earn a little money from them <laughs> was there ever a, a, a clash between your sort of your mother's music and your father's music or or did they did they blend together seamlessly in the house well i would say they're my parents blended together very seamlessly but it was my my brothers and i that had the issue I mean, if you can just imagine, you know, maybe me as, as, a, as a teenager pushing the boundaries and then I have my middle brother, uh, Chris, who would, uh, you know, kind of felt sandwiched. Um, and then my youngest brother, Benny, he was the total cute showstopper. Uh, you know, he would, he, 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 a lot of, when we were doing most of these programs, he was, you know, four, five, six, seven, just, I mean, totally like the cutest kid you could ever imagine. Out on stage, you know, you could see his belly because, you know, his, um, you know, his, his shirt, maybe his shirt was untucked. And then, and he would say one line in a piece that we were singing and, you know, the audience would erupt and it's like, okay, I'm not, our brother steals the show again. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, and, and, and actually it's really funny because I guess we were a stage family in some sense. Right. Uh, and my parents, you know, well, we all kind of joke about now how we would be fighting backstage and, you know, wouldn't be talking to each other, but the moment you get out on stage, everything is smiles <laughs> and, every, and everyone is fine. Uh, and my poor parents, I mean, they, they, they really tried to hold it together as much as they could. Uh, but uh, that has helped me, but, but you know what? I think that's really, that's right. I, that's really helped me as a performer being able to kind of focus when you go out on stage. I mean, I've been in, I've been in front of audiences since I was three years old. 
Um, so that's not something I'm too terribly, I mean, I still get, you know, still get butterflies in my stomach, but it's not something that's, that's completely foreign to me. Uh, and then when you are nervous like that, or something happens on stage, you can work through it much easier because you, you know, you have that familiarity with that setting. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, for, for you kids out there studying music, I think the best thing to do is perform in front of people and you'll get better at it. <laughs> Do you have to take a, a few moments? Do you have like a, a few moments to get into the zone before you go out on stage? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I, I think that we perform enough now that we all kind of get in our zones. And then, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of the, of the the mindset that I like to call my, I need to calm myself down usually instead of rev myself up because I'll, I'll, I'll usually have that adrenaline going. Um, but, uh, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Um, and then from the, from the perspective of being in a quartet, you know, we've all, it's been the same personnel for about eight years now. And, you know, we can read each other well enough that if something does go amiss, you know, the other person or the rest of the group has the other person's back. So uh, that's, that's a, really, it's just a product of experience and playing together and performing a lot. With regard to the Dietrich Five, like the, uh, the, like the Jackson Five, I guess, um, yeah. do, your other two brothers, have they uh, maintained an interest in music? Well, I'll start with my youngest brother, Benny. He is a teacher at the American School in Vienna. He, uh, so yes, he is still uh, a musician, a professional musician, and uh, he, he went to Vanderbilt University. Um, so he, he followed in my footsteps just a little bit. My middle, my middle brother, he's doing really well. You know, he's he's uh, he's doing really well in Europe. Is he a violinist. Um, he's a so he's a he's a violinist. My middle brother Chris, you know, he it was always a little bit more challenging for him, just being I think being the middle child. Um, he had he he had a lot of talent, uh, and we all played piano and violin. Um, but I, and actually he went he went to college for photojournalism, and huh. he minored in violin, uh, University of Missouri, um, and he became a photojournalist. He was a he was an excellent uh, photographer for the Salt Lake Tribune for eight or nine or ten years. He just retired. La or he uh, um, he left his position last year before he was fired because of cuts to the paper and everything that's going on mm -hmm. in the in the, you know, the news industry. And now yeah. he opened a brewery. <laughs> oh wow! So in fact, so he's using his artistry to to brew beer. Uh, and in fact, he was involved in some of the the creation and the artwork for you know the cans. Uh, for the beer and uh, he asked my brother Ben and I to transcribe um, this bird called a loo uh, and it, it's little bird call and so there's the music on the can of, of this of this bird oh, really? bird's call yeah um, and so there, there's some musical and artistic elements that still are with you know my brother Chris even though he's not you know a professional violinist so I think my parents are proud of all of our respective paths. <laughs> what does the beer taste like? The beer, is, the beer is delicious. He's he's really he was do, always doing this on the side since he was in college, and uh, you know I, I think he's he definitely put in his ten thousand hours, and um, he's they're doing very well, especially now in the pandemic because people um, are you know imbibing. What's the beer called again? It's called Level Crossing Brewing Company in Level Salt Lake Crossing. City. You mentioned that. Um, one of your brothers went to Vanderbilt. Where did you go to school? I studied at Rice University at the Shepherd School of Music. I uh, began my 
undergrad in 1999. I stayed for my master's and completed uh, my master's degree in 2005. Um, so I spent six years there. There's some of the, the, the best years of my life. Um, the Shepherd School of Music is second to none. The faculty are amazing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll mention my teacher, my former teacher, Ken Goldsmith, right here uh, behind me, you know, recently passed, passed away. Mm -hmm. um, he, you know, he, after my, my family, he was one of the most important people in my, my life, my life. Uh, he really taught me how to play the violin. Uh, when I started as a freshman, I needed some technical work and I, you know, I worked really, really hard, uh, uh, to, to maybe, you know, get, get up to the, to the level of some of my peers that were there. Um, I do consider myself a little bit more of a late bloomer, but one of the reasons why I, you know, I feel like. I found some success in, you know, being an entrepreneur is that I was able to take other classes. I didn't go to a music conservatory where it would have just been only music. I had such, I had such great teachers and, mm -hmm. and professors outside of the music school. And I took advantage of that. I took philosophy, I took sociology, I took environmental, uh, environmental classes, um, an acoustics class, uh, that, that mixed with some physics students. Um, so I, you know, I, I, you know, especially with with uh, Ken Goldsmith's passing recently, I've just been thinking how fortunate it was for me to go to the school. I was a Pen I was a Pennsylvania boy from a small town. Um, I didn't I didn't even really know where you know Texas was on a map until I started auditioning for schools uh, mm -hmm. and conservatories. And my teacher in Pennsylvania had known Ken from um, I think uh, a conference years back uh, and and help me make that connection. But, uh, that, that really is, a, it was, is a formative experience of my life attending, attending Rice, um, and staying in Houston. And as you said, Ken Goldsmith, I, I knew Ken, he was a yeah. phenomenal person. And, you know, since his passing to see so many of his students write about the effect, uh, the influence that he had on their lives as musicians, it's, uh, it's, it's quite remarkable. And let me just follow up with mean, that. That's totally right. And the reason why we all love and admire him so much is because he helped us become who we were supposed to be. I mean, he not only was a, was a teacher and a professor that could, they could teach you how to, how to teach yourselves, which I think is the first thing, uh, the first aspect of a, of a, of a, of a teacher that you need, right. Mm -hmm. To teach this, this person, okay, you need to, you know, this is what you need to do to, um, to, to fix whatever the issue is. But, I remember him sitting us down after I think he had a pool party, at, you know, at the end of a semester. And he said, uh, you know, we were all asking questions. It was like story time with Goldsmith. And we were, we were, <laughs> we were, you know, just asking some questions. And then he, he said, one of the things that he was most proud of is that, that all of his students throughout his entire career, all were able to do something a little bit different. So none of his students were, were just auditioning for orchestra jobs and getting that. And that's what I thought I would, always, would be doing with my life right now. I mean, and that's kind of the trajectory that you're supposed to be in at the Shepherd School. But, 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 you know, Ken was just so, um, he helped us, like I said, he helped us become who we should be. And he gave us a grounding in different genres and different styles of music making, um, which a lot of teachers don't do these days. And then just, you know, how to be, how to be a, a human being as well as a musician, because sometimes I think, um, sometimes I think those two things aren't taught you know, at conservatories or music schools. Uh, so he's, it's just a great loss. They don't, they don't make, make 
teachers or human beings like like Ken Goldsmith anymore. Yeah. When you were growing up, um, obviously, you know, you were in a very musical household. What was your music of choice? What CDs were you buying? What, uh, what LPs? You're probably too young for LPs, but uh, you know, what was what was the music on your shelf? Well, I will give you a little bit of a glimpse into my childhood bedroom. <laughs> really? Here we go. So this oh, wow. is my uh, childhood bedroom. Uh, this is probably when I was about 11, 12, 13 years old. Uh, and if you can see right over here, this is a speaker for my first stereo system. So the story behind this is that uh, I think for my birthday, my, my dad took me shopping and, and you know, I really wanted a stereo system because I think some of my friends had it. So um, I was very excited. I found, uh, my, I found this, it's called, it, was, it was a JVC. Right. It was my first CD player. So that was the big deal. I think I, I only had a tape player up until that point. Um, so I, I brought this thing home and set it up and I invited some of my, my good friends over. And, uh, and, and the thing that was really amazing about this particular stereo system is that it had a button that you press for turbo bass. Actually, it was called, you know, it was called hyper bass sound. And it was on the one, like, it was just, it was a special button. You just pressed it. I remember just like, say, guys, listen to this. But doesn't this sound better? Bam. And then you, you press the button and then it just has, you know, it just, just I never had any kind of like sonic experience like that ever in my life. Um, and so let me ask you, Sinjin, what kind of music do you think that I was playing through, through my stereo, my new stereo system? I don't know, because uh, I think you're, you're something of a dark horse. So um, I would imagine that uh, it would be a fairly eclectic mix of music. Um, but I can, I can see you liking sort of heavy metal. Okay, that came a little later. But I, 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 think, my, my, I think my mom gave me a CD and this was, this was I'm really with, the, this is my first CD player. And the first CD I had was a mix of opera overtures and, and, and selections. And uh -huh. so the one piece that really spoke to me at that point in my life was the anvil chorus from Verdi's Il Travatore. <laughs> so I would, I would boost this thing up and play it really loud and, uh, you know, run around my room. And uh, that, that, that's kind of what uh, really spoke to, spoke to me at that time. Um, a little bit later on, uh, when I was a teenager, um, I think my first, the CD, one of the first CDs that I bought was a Boys to Men CD. And I really? think that was, I think that was only because, uh, you know, a, a, a girl I was interested in like that, you know, like, like that band. Um, so I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit sheepish to admit that, but I would say the first CD that I bought that was really something that I wanted, um, was, uh, by Crash Test Dummies. Um, so this is in 1993 and I think the CD was, uh, God Shuffled His Feet. And, you know, of course it had the famous, mm -hmm song on it that, that everybody maybe maybe you don't know that song Sinjin, but, no, no uh it was it was in my number, number one on the charts but 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 you know the interesting thing about about that cd is that uh there's a lot of references to spirituality and religion and god and you know with my dad being a pastor um i remember sh i remember showing my dad the the lyrics and, you know i pulled out the jacket and i showed him there's like like i thought dad aren't you wouldn't you I was, I was thinking my dad would be proud of me that i'm listening to this like <laughs> music about god 
and actually he you know i showed him and he's like this is actually you know pretty interesting i didn't expect you know this this rock band to be <laughs> dabbling in you know christian theology it was uh, of the devil that no, rock I mean, music <laughs> that's right <laughs> Um, I mean, and the, but later on, I did get into uh, REM and Green Day and Stone Temple Pilots and, and those kinds of bands. And, uh, you know, my friends and I, we would record from an actual radio station. You know, we call in and say, hey, can you play uh, Basket Case by Green Day? And then and then and then you would hear yourself, you know, a few moments later on the radio and then you would right. tape that. You could record that. Right. So I, that, that's, you know, for, for the, the young millennials out there, that's how. That's, those are the sorts of things we did before the internet. <laughs> Move your head to one side because there is yeah. a great, there's a great poster on the wall there of uh, uh, the man on the moon. I don't know if that's Neil Armstrong, but um, you have always been fascinated by space, haven't you? I have. I, I, I've wanted to be an astronaut since I was a young boy. Um, and actually my first memory, one of my first flashball memories was turning into my violin lesson. Um, my, mom, my mom was driving, of course, but we were turning into my violin teacher's house for a lesson. And on the radio came the news about the shuttle Challenger. And I remember my mom gasped and, uh, mm. and you know, that, and I remember her telling me what happened. And um, that's kind of a more depressing link to my interest in space. But uh, I also went to space camp when I was 13 years old in Hutchinson, Kansas at the Kansas Cosmosphere and Space Center. Um, and, uh, you know, I, in high school, I was still interested in space, but math and science were not my forte. Um, and the music became, you know, more important. And, uh, you know, I, my, my dreams of becoming an astronaut kind of became, well, maybe in the future we'll be able to, you know, go to, go to a hotel or go to, you know, uh, an excursion to the moon, which may be possible someday uh if elon musk has his way but uh yeah i mean I, I i just i just think space travel gives people some gives people hope and uh you know kind it takes us away from a lot of our petty squabbles that we have here on earth it gives us something you know something positive to to think about and to and to shoot for and in fact that whole idea of space travel and uh exploring other worlds um, informed one of Apollo's commissions, didn't it? You mentioned Jared Tate um, in his piece titled Moonrise. Moonstrike. Moonstrike. Moonstrike, yeah. And this is, this is a commission that's based on American Indian moon legends to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 lunar landing, which was just uh, last year in 20, 2019. Um, the, you know, the other interesting component to that is that uh, I, didn't be, I didn't get to become an astronaut, right? But I moved to Space City. I went to school in Space City. This is the, this is the city that I, that I live in, that I, in which I live and have a family now and I know and I love. And, uh, you know, my, my uh, organization ensemble, Apollo Chamber Players, is in part an homage to the Apollo Space Program and, you know, this wonderful city. Tell us a little bit more about that music that you were listening to. The Boys to Men, okay, what other confessions <laughs> can you make? Well, I, I think that maybe I bought that CD, I listened to it once, and I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, think that, I think that went on the shelf pretty quickly. Um, but, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, later in um, in college, I, I I really fell in love with Radiohead and uh, and Pink Floyd, um, King Crimson, a lot of you know more experimental uh, uh, progressive rock groups, and uh, I, th- those really spoke to me, especially in my twenties. And I, you know, I still listen to a lot of the same bands today. As far as, uh, you know, my, my favorite classical artist, one of my favorite violinists uh, that's alive right now is named Giuliano Carmignola. And again, I, I think I became fascinated with his music in college and, uh, and, and sort of afterwards. Um, but he's, 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 he's an Italian Baroque violinist, but he plays classical music. And, but he, he, is, he is one of the most dynamic and explosive virtuoso violinist I have ever heard in my life and uh, I, I, I could I can listen to his music all the time he, his personality comes out crystal clear in everything that he does and it, it's just it's fabulous playing do you still have any of those CDs uh, that I can well, see there do you still have any of them at home so yes I think so so this this room was my room until I was about 16 years old and my two younger brothers were sharing a room right on you know they shared a wall with this room um but as you can imagine uh two teenagers sharing a room doesn't work very well and then me as a 16 17 year old uh and then my parents were just you know across the hall and we were all using the same bathroom so (laughs) after a couple of incidents my parents said that's it you're gonna go live in the basement matt and, uh, and so, so they, they actually uh, remodeled a section of our basement uh, to the room that I spent the last couple of years uh, of high school before I left for college in. Um, and then so my, my, my brother Ben moved into this room and uh, that, you know, kind of became his, his little lair for a while. Uh, so some of, my, some of my books and things are still, you know, at home in my, in my room and my parents keep threatening to throw them out. But I'm like, just wait, I'll come, I'll get them sometime. Yeah. You know, this, um, my background here is, is actually something um, from, from my past. Um, it's, it, it's a virtual background, um, but that's the, uh, the, the library in the, uh, the house that I lived in uh, in Atlanta before I moved to Houston and I uh, moved into the house and it was, it was a brand new house and we had the, uh, the shelves built so that I could, uh, I had somewhere for my books and uh, you know, it's it's. I love look, I love seeing at, the I, I love seeing the, the 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 walls that are bookshelves. I think that you know, floor to ceiling, it's just yeah, those are great. Yeah, but it's amazing. You know, I look at so, some of the photographs that that are on the shelves and and you know, remind me of you know, of, of my past and right you know, right t- important times in my life and uh, and you know I can even tell just from the spine what some of those books are. And, you know, I remember there were books that, that I bought to read or there were books that, you know, I bought for class when I was, you know, I was in graduate school studying literature. So, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, a history. It's a, time ca- it's a time capsule. Yeah. It's a time yeah. capsule. And I think, you know, I hope that books are not lost, you know, in, in you know, the, in, in new generations. I mean, I think there is something about holding a physical book and going back to it and having kind of the smell and the texture and 
the experience of something physical rather than, you know, on a screen. And I, I just hope that that's not something that totally goes by the wayside. Um, I can, I can show really quickly too the other. So the other side to my bedroom um, is here. Oh, and wow. one, one of my, I mean, you can see my, uh, you can see my violin would be right over here. And there's a, uh -huh. that's a, that's a music stand that my grandpa, my dad's father made. He was a, he was a farmer, uh, actually a dairy farmer in, in Wisconsin. Um, they, you know, they didn't have the easiest life, but they, they worked very hard and uh, he was very handy. Um, so anyway, there's, there's that, that's, that's my, my childhood music stand. I was also very uh, interested. Well, I, I love Michael Jordan. <laughs> as you can probably tell, especially right. this picture where Michael Jordan is holding a moon. <laughs> um, so, and then, yeah, go ahead. When, when you look at, at the music that Apollo is making today, do you see the roots of that in your home life? I definitely do. And a lot of that's the mixing of genres in our Dietrich Five ensemble. Uh, but I think a lot of that also just comes from, well, I, actually, I, I will, I know that some of that also comes from the fact that my family took in immigrants and refugees and asylum seek seekers when, uh, you know, when they needed a place to stay for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. We had two uh, gentlemen that were released from the York County prison uh, they were part of something called the People of the Golden Vision, and they came over seeking religious uh, they, they, uh, asylum on religious perse persecution grounds. They were released from the 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 prison, and they lived with us for I think maybe three months, three or four months in our basement, and huh. just having that experience, you know, of someone from a different culture, and I think it creates a lot of empathy um, for other cultures, but a lot of interest too. So I do feel like that has informed what what you know what we do with Apollo in terms of the uh the multicultural element and then and then Houston of course I mean I, I I'm, I'm just so humbled that I ended up in this city because it's a multicultural city the world lives here and I think that that's what makes it you know so special in in, in many respects I think one of the things that uh, we often forget is that even those, you know, the, the, the dead white guys, the Mozarts and the Beethovens, etc., were inspired by the folk music of their day. Definitely. And this was something that we thought about a lot, um, and I thought about when we were starting Apollo, is how can we show this inspiration and these connections that, you know, even Bach, Beethoven, Brahms had with uh, the traditional music of their of their um of their culture and uh kind of you know provide use that as a lens of interpretation for for the listener to say hey you know these people were interested uh in in some of the same things that i'm interested too it's not all stuffy highbrow music you know i think one of the things that uh is important for people to know about you is that you are married to the other violinist in the Apollo Chamber Players, Annabelle. And so you are a two violin family. We are. And so during this pandemic, we've been able to actually record some videos uh, as, uh, you know, just the two of us, some duos. Um, 
I know I never expected to marry another violinist, uh, but I guess that's why artists and actors usually marry within their, you know, within their, their group of people is because, you know, you're, you're, those are the people that you're in contact with and, um, you know, establish relationships with, uh, but, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just so happy that I, that I met Annabelle. We met actually playing in the Houston Grand Opera in 2008, and then we did some sharing music together. Um, and then she, uh, joined Apollo in 2012 when Tim, Tim, Timothy Peters got a job with the Malaysian Philharmonic or, uh, Malaysian Philharmonic, uh, in Kuala Lumpur. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes we have some challenges being a married couple in a string quartet, but, uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful experience and, um, you know, it's, it's really great to, to, to work with your spouse. What about when it comes to... Make music to, with your spouse, yeah. What about when it comes to uh, practicing? How do you negotiate that? Because there are, there are two of you and you've got a small child, Javi. How do you work out who's going to play practice when? Well, with a, with a two and a half year old, that becomes even more challenging. <laughs> uh, actually... Well, let me take that back. Things have gotten a little bit easier now that we can put Javi in front of uh, a TV and have him watch Elmo's World or the Lorax or some other child-friendly uh, video. Um, and we just did this uh, up, uh, you know, in, in our studio the other day, and he sat there for about an hour and 20 minutes, and we, we practiced together. Um, so we're able to do that a little bit more than, than we did when he was, you know, an infant. Right. But uh, actually, a lot of the times we practice is when we put him to bed and, you know, maybe I'll practice upstairs and she'll practice downstairs. So, uh, yeah, it works. Does he, does he have any musical inclinations at this point? We're trying to figure out what those inclinations may be and kind of lead him in that direction. He's been going to these wonderful classes uh, through the Prelude Music Foundation, which is founded by Jonathan Godfrey and Anna Godfrey. And... Uh, I mean, he, he, he can basically sing at pitch now. Um, he'll yeah. sing songs and he knows all of the, uh, the Spanish songs, which are part of Cante Bala. This is another uh, version of this, you know, prelude music program. Um, and he, I mean, he'll, 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 he'll sing, he knows all the words, even though he doesn't, he's learning English and Spanish. So even though, you know, he doesn't have the vocabulary, he'll, 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 he can sing these songs. And I think it's really amazing for us to see just from him being exposed to us playing into these, these classes uh, in the first couple of years of his life, how um, much that's had an effect on his development. So I'm not sure, you know, we're not going to push one instrument or another on him. I mean, right. it would be nice if he learned violin because we know how to teach that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there are some, some possible perilous situations <laughs> involved in, you know, trying to teach your, teach your kid the same instrument. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how he develops. And he's also, you're raising him bilingual because a Annabelle is uh, from Mexico. So um, her first language is Spanish and yours is, is English. That's right. She's, she was, uh, she's from Puebla uh, near Mexico City. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's been really great for Javi to have a lot of contact with his, his family there. And Unfortunately, he knows more than more Spanish than I do now. 
which is kind of amazing. He'll he'll tell me something in Spanish or ask me something in Spanish, and if I don't understand it, he'll translate into English. <laughs> and he, and it's it's uh it's really kind of amazing. I mean, he's two and a half years old, and I you know I I took German and Latin when I was in high school and college, mm-hmm. um, and it's just so difficult. I you know I've been listening to some you know Spanish tapes and uh, trying to learn Spanish, but it's just so difficult when you're when you're older. Uh, but, uh, I, I would love for a gift for my son, uh, is to be, you know, proficient in, in both languages. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real gift, I think, to, uh, to have that bilingualism. Let's talk about Apollo and you are getting to the end of the 20 by 2020 commissioning project. What dreams and aspirations do you still have for the Apollo chamber players? That's a great question. And one, one which many people have been asking us, I think that after this commissioning new music inspired by multiculturalism and uh, folk music elements will still be a part of what we do. That will always be a part of what we do. Um, But a lot of the relationships that we've made with composers and artists and, you know, for instance, the Houston ballet dancers, um, we collaborate, often with and Houston Chamber Choir members, a lot of these relationships that we have that we have cultivated over the course of the project, uh, it just gives us such a wide palette from which to program in the future. Um, so we're probably not going to do anything large scale like 20 by 2020 right now or in you know, the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but commissioning will always be a very important part of what uh, Apollo does. Um, and also, we will be announcing officially sometime soon a project to perform in all of the Harris County public libraries. I'm not quite sure how that's going to go during the pandemic, but um, that's something that I think is important to really, you know, reach into the community and uh, yeah, perform, engage, engage as much as we can. Well, Matt, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk about your musical life and share some secrets of uh, what was in, your uh, 12-year-old bedroom, and uh, best wishes to you, best wishes to the Apollo Chamber players. Thank you for uh, collaborating and continuing to collaborate with the Houston Chamber Choir. We all appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sinjin. And thank you also to all of the patrons and sponsors of the Houston Chamber Choir. We couldn't do what we do without your support. And thank you to you for watching. Join us again next time. I'm Sinjin Flint. Thank you. Houston Chamber Choirs with One Accord is your one-stop shop to choral joy. Help us to continue our mission to grow the esteem and appreciation of choral music by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to our content. Visit us at HoustonChamberChoir.org.